0: In the last episode of Stoicism on Fire, I focused on the Stoic doctrine of an excellent human life and the fact that such a life requires agreement with both human nature and cosmic nature. The corollary of that doctrine is that human reason alone is not enough to lead us toward an excellent moral character. We must bring our human reason, logos, into agreement with universal reason. As I pointed out, the concept of human reason as a fragment of the Logos permeating the cosmos relates to the inner guardian, the Stoics referred to as a daimon. With those concepts in mind, we are ready to continue with Marcus's list of characteristics of a good person. When Marcus reminds himself not to defile his daimon, he notes the good person will exhibit the characteristics of following God in an orderly fashion never uttering a word that is contrary to the truth, nor performing any action that is contrary to justice. We see three related characteristics here. They are following God, speaking truth, and acting justly. First, what does it mean to follow God in Stoic practice? The instruction to follow God may inspire curiosity or provoke resistance among secular moderns, This is not equivalent to following the commands of a sacred text. The Stoics had no such texts. Recall that God is equivalent to nature in Stoicism. Therefore, to follow God is to follow nature. However, we misrepresent this aspect of Stoic practice if we remove the divine and providential characteristics of nature that the Stoics attributed to her. Nature devoid of providence is not the cosmic nature with which the ancients tried to live in agreement. Absent providence, some version of a chance universe like that of the Epicureans is the only thing that remains. The Stoics opposed this model and found it inadequate as a guide for ethical human life. That is the reason they emphasized the relationship between us and a purposeful or providential cosmos. Throughout the meditations, we see Marcus seeking a relationship with cosmic nature and attempting to align his life with its universal law. In several passages, Marcus expresses this as following God quote, Hearten yourself with simplicity and self respect and indifference toward all that lies between virtue and vice. Love the human race. Follow God. Meditations 7.31. And again, quote, And he has put aside every distraction and care and has no other desire than to hold to the straight path according to the law, and by holding to it, to follow God. Meditations 10.11 In the final passages of his Meditations, Marcus instructs himself to constantly consider, quote, those who have been greatly aggrieved at something that came to pass, and those who have achieved the heights of fame, or affliction, or enmity, or any other kind of fortune. And then ask yourself, What has become of all of that? Smoke and ashes, and merely a tale are not even so much as a tale. Meditations, twelve twenty-seven. Then he reminds himself how cheap those things are that we strive for, and reminds himself of those things that are worthy of our pursuit, such as wisdom, justice, temperance, and obedience to the gods. Marcus then imagines a dialogue with those who doubt or deny the existence of the gods. He writes. to those who ask where have you seen the gods or what evidence do you have of their existence that you worship them so devoutly i reply first of all that they are in fact visible to our eyes and secondly that i have not seen my own soul and yet i pay it due honor so likewise with the gods from what i experience of their power at every moment in my life i ascertain that they exist and i pay them due reverence meditations 12.28. Finally Marcus asks himself a deeply probing question and provides himself with an answer quote "What is it that you seek the mere continuation of your life to experience sensation, then and impulse to grow and cease from growing, to make use of your tongue and your mind and what is there in that which strikes you as worth desiring? But if all these things are worthy of contempt, Take the final step and follow reason. Follow God. Meditations 1231 The meditations of Marcus Aurelius are the best expression of Stoicism we have before the Stoic ceases to exist a short time after his death. Within his notes to himself, we see a deeply held reverence for the divinity of nature, along with the desire and commitment to follow God. This attitude of reverence is not unique to Marcus. As Pierre Hedot emphasizes while writing about the discipline of desire, quote, All this corresponds then to a religious need, the need to personalize that power, to the will of which the discipline of desire instructs us complacently to consent. This is why Marcus Aurelius, like Epictetus, often employs the expressions follow the gods or obey the gods to describe this attitude of consent. End quote. However, this concept of following God does not begin with Marcus or Epictetus. It can be traced to the founding of the Stoa. In the Discourses of Epictetus, we see the follow God the more frequently, and as Pierre Hédo points out, to follow the gods means to accept their will, which is identical with the will of universal nature. Likewise, A. A. Long points out, quote, Hence for Epictetus... The goal of following God is equivalent to living in agreement with nature, which was the standard Stoic definition of the good life. Let us look at what Epictetus actually had to say about this topic in several passages. Quote, and one who is still being educated should approach his education with this aim in view. How may I follow the gods in everything, and how may I act in a way that is acceptable to the divine administration? And how may I become free? Discourses 1.12.8 Again, quote, For does it in fact take long to say that our end lies in following the gods and the essence of the good in the correct use of impressions? Discourses 1.20.15 And finally, quote, Tell me further, what were the things that you regarded as being goods? The right exercise of choice and use of impressions? And what is the end? To follow God. Discourses 1.30.4 Following the gods was language used throughout the history of the Stoa, as equivalent to living in agreement with nature. This is clear from the writings of Chrysippus, the second scholarch of the Stoa. In Diogenes Laertius' ancient book, Lives of Eminent Philosophers, we read, Chrysippus says in the first book of his Definibus for our individual natures are parts of the nature of the whole universe. And this is why the end may be defined as life in accordance with nature, or, in other words, in accordance with our own human nature as well as that of the universe, a life in which we refrain from every action forbidden by the law common to all things. That is to say, the right reason which pervades all things and is identical with this Zeus, Lord and ruler. Of all that is, if that is not clear enough, Chrysippus followed up with this unambiguous statement: quote, "And this very thing constitutes the virtue of the happy man and the smooth current of life, when all actions promote the harmony of the spirit dwelling in the individual man with the will of him who orders the universe." Diogenes Laertius, seven eighty-eight. Virtue and happiness, according to Chrysippus result from a harmony between the spirit dwelling within the individual, our daimon, and the will of him who orders the universe, Zeus or God. Considering that Chrysippus was the third scholarch of the Stoa, these quotes get us very close to the founding. However we can get closer. On four occasions in the discourses of Epictetus, he repeats a prayer that he attributes to Cleanthes, whom Zeno selected to succeed him as the second scholarch of the ancient Stoa. The most famous version of Cleanthes' prayer is found in Enchiridion fifty-three: Quote, "Guide me, O Zeus, and thou, O Destiny, to wheresoever you have assigned me; I will follow unwaveringly. Or if my will fails, base though I be, I'll follow none the less." End quote. For those who are unfamiliar with Stoic theology, it is important to note that the name Zeus does not refer to the anthropomorphic figure of Greek mythology or a transcendent deity. Instead, it refers to the god of many names. That is the imminent and active force within all of nature. As Professor Kiempe Algra of Utrecht University writes, We know that the Stoics were willing to link their philosophical monotheism or pantheism with at least parts of traditional polytheism. They were prepared to call their one cosmic god by many traditional names, Zeus, Hera, etc. The Stoic god is a philosophical god, one arrived at by observation and reason. Nevertheless, as the surviving texts make clear, the Stoics were not playing mere word games by declaring the cosmos divine, as some modern scientific pantheists attempt to do. The reverence to nature and individual piety is clearly present from Cleanthe's hymn to Zeus at the founding all the way to Marcus's meditations as the flame of the Stoa grows dim. As A. A. Long argues, quote, Epictetus' theological language betokens a personal belief and experience as deep and wholehearted as that of any Jew or Christian or Muslim. End quote. This makes it abundantly clear that the idea of following God was there from the founding of the Stoa. The instruction to follow the gods cannot be simply dismissed as Epictetus' own version of the Stoic edict to follow nature. It is also important to remember. A fragment of that Logos resides in each of us. Therefore, as A. 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 Long points out, We don't need God as distinct from ourselves to tell us what to do, but we are able to tell ourselves what to do only because of the way our nature has been constructed, and the author of our nature's construction is God. Hence for Epictetus, the goal of following God is equivalent to living in accordance with nature which was the standard Stoic definition of a good life. End quote. Next on Marcus's list are the characteristics of a good person who is just in word and deed. This reminded me of the famous story of the Ring of Gyges from Plato's Republic. In that dialogue with Socrates, Glaucon offers three classes of goods. One, things that are good in themselves regardless of the consequences. Harmless pleasures that do not produce good or bad consequences. 2. Things that are good in themselves and because of their consequences. Knowledge, sight, health. 3. Things that are disagreeable in themselves but produce good consequences. Physical training, medical treatments. Socrates places justice in the first category. Those things that are good in themselves regardless of consequences. Glaucon disagrees and argues that most people believe that doing justice belongs in the third category. Quote, they'd say that justice belongs to the onerous kind and is to be practiced for the sake of the rewards and popularity that come from a reputation for justice, but is to be avoided because of itself as something burdensome. End quote. In other words, Glaucon argues most people don't really care about justice for its own sake. Instead, they are only concerned with being perceived as being just by others. Further, he argues that we create laws only because the evil that results from becoming a victim of injustice is greater than the pleasure derived from doing injustice. Ultimately, he suggests that it is in our nature to do injustice and concludes that that we would consistently behave unjustly if we could be certain that we would not get caught and suffer the consequences. As proof of this assertion, Glaucon tells the famous story of the Ring of Gyges. It is the story of a shepherd named Gyges who obtains a ring with the power to make him invisible when turned upside down on his finger. This allows Gyges to commit any unjust act that he pleases without fear of consequences. Glaucon uses the story. Propose a mind experiment. Quote Let's suppose then that there were two such rings, one worn by a just and the other by an unjust person. Now, not one, it seems, would be so incorruptible that he would stay on the path of justice or stay away from other people's properties when he could take whatever he wanted from the marketplace with impunity, go into people's houses and have sex with anyone he wished, kill or release from prison anyone he wished and do all the things that would make him like a god among humans. Rather, his actions would be in no way different from those of an unjust person, and both would follow the same path. End quote. This takes us back to that curious line from the last episode, where Marcus suggests that bad people are those, quote, who will do anything whatever behind locked doors. End quote. Why do bad people do Anything, whatever, behind closed doors? In secret? Because they don't want to be seen by others. Why? Because whatever they are doing is a violation of the accepted laws or moral norms of their society. Hiding one's actions behind locked doors is as close to a ring of gaijis as anyone can actually get in real life. If the act is concealed and no one shares the secret, then there are no consequences. Unfortunately, As the Stoics point out, there is someone watching, and there are real consequences, even if we do have a ring of Guides to ensure that human authorities will never catch us. As Epictetus reminds us, When you close your doors and create darkness within, remember never to say that you're on your own, for in fact you're not alone, because God is with you, and your guardian spirit too, and what need do they have of light to see what you are doing? Discourses 1.14, 13-14. What is the consequence even if we don't get caught? We corrupt our inner daimon. We degrade our soul. As practicing Stoics, we must remember that we carry a fragment of the divine with us, within us, wherever we go. Therefore, we are wise to stop and recall Seneca's words, quote, God is near you, with you, inside you. I mean it, a sacred spirit dwells within us, and is the observer and guardian of all goods and ills. However we treat that spirit, so does the spirit treat us. Letters 41, 1-2 We can hide from and fool other humans, however we cannot hide from our inner spirit, our daimon. That realization alone is potentially behavior-changing and life-transforming. We are now at the end of this incredibly profound meditation from Marcus, and he closes Meditations 3.16 with the following, quote, if anyone else refuses to believe that he is living a simple, modest, and cheerful life, he is not angry with anyone, nor is he diverted from the path that leads him to life's close, which he must reach as one who is pure, at peace, and ready to depart, consenting to his destiny without the need for constraint, end quote. Here, Marcus is encouraging himself to ignore the opinion of others and remain on an unpopular path that leads to virtue. He trusted his inner spirit, his Daimon, to guide him because he made every effort to keep it pure and in harmony with the whole of the cosmos and the universal reason that guides it. Like Epictetus, Marcus was probably aware that Cleanthes argued, quote, what the philosophers say may conflict with common opinion, but not with reason. End quote. Popular opinion is a poor guide for anyone. Most people judge good and bad wrongly. They are pulled by the puppet strings of their desires and aversions, and they rely on faulty human reason alone to guide them toward virtue and happiness. And you may be inclined to dismiss following God as religious nonsense. Admittedly, it may appear to belong in that category until you understand what the Stoics meant by following God. In short, following God is a summation of living in agreement with nature, following the Stoic path. Toward that end, I will leave you with this thought that you can apply immediately. I am confident that you have experienced the subtle prod of your inner daimon at some point in your life. I believe we all have. Like Socrates' diamond, it may raise a caution flag only when you are about to do something wrong. Like me, you may have ignored its warnings numerous times, and like me, you likely suffered the consequences of doing so. If you've ignored your diamond for many years or decades, the subtle warnings of your inner guide may be hard to hear. The whispers of your diamond may have been drowned out by the clamor of the desires and aversions that control you like a puppet it is never too late to start paying attention to your diamond again. How? Try this. When you're uncertain about an action, stop focusing exclusively on consequences or outcomes and direct your attention, prosiche, on your thoughts, desires, and impulses. How are your thoughts about this thing or event shaping your soul, your character? What desires and aversions are presently pulling you one way or the other in the present situation? Is your impulse toward a virtuous end? Stop for a moment and imagine yourself as a person with an excellent character whose only impulse is toward wisdom, justice, courage, and moderation. What would that excellent self think of this thing or event? What would your excellent self do in this particular situation? What would Seneca, Marcus, or Epictetus do in this situation? An answer will come to you, I assure you. Pay attention to it. If you truly intend to follow the Stoic path toward virtue and well being, you must turn your focus inward to your judgments and your desires and aversions. We cannot make progress along the Stoic path unless we pay attention. Here's a memory aid from my paper on prosike, or attention. I hope it will remind you of the importance of this practice pay attention or pay a price. I repeat, pay attention or pay a price. As Pierre Hedot teaches us, quote, The Stoic's fundamental attitude is this continuous attention which means constant tension and consciousness as well as vigilance exercised at every moment. Attentive people live in the constant presence of universal reason, which is imminent within the cosmos. They see all things from the perspective of this reason and consent joyfully to its will, end quote. This is the third and final episode on this powerful passage from Meditations 316, where Marcus Aurelius is encouraging himself and us to follow a different path, an unpopular path. The Stoic path teaches us to love all things and events of nature, even when they appear bad from our limited human perspective. Additionally, this path instructs us to keep that fragment of the divine within us, our daimon, pure. We can only accomplish that by leading a simpler life, with one desire, virtue, and one aversion, vice. The Stoic Procopton, who follows this path, will be following nature, cosmic nature, which is the same as following God. And like Epictetus, they will live Cleanthe's prayer, which reads again, Guide me, O Zeus, and thou, O destiny, to wherever you have assigned me. I'll follow unwaveringly, or if my will fails, base though I be, I'll follow nonetheless. In Chiridion 53. Finally, the Procopton will attempt to be just in word and deed as they follow the Stoic path toward the life of moral excellence and well being. I'll leave you with one recommendation read Meditations 316 every day for several days. Each time you read it, turn your full attention to those good characteristics. Then commit yourself to following the path of the Stoic Prokopton to develop those good characteristics further. Do this, and you will set your Stoic practice on fire. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on the platform where you listen to this podcast. That tells others this podcast is worth listening to and thereby introduces more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you have feedback or a great podcast idea for me, send me an email at chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue exploring traditional stoicism, where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of stoicism on fire.